Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks be to God for his word. All right, Westside, last week we concluded our five-week-long series through the book of Proverbs, and we sought out finding real wisdom for real life, and I hope that you had an opportunity to join us in that either online or here in person. Um, If you want to catch up on that series, excuse me. You shouldn't guzzle water right before you get up here. Um, If you want to catch up on that series, you can go to our website and you can view our sermon series there or you can find us anywhere a a a a podcast is available. This week, we are starting a new sermon series that we are entitling Axioms. Axioms. Axioms is going to be a series that that we are trying to tie ourselves down into when it comes to the vision and the mission of of Westside. Each year, right around the fall, uh, usually around right now, we try to carve out some time to to dedicate what our to, to get to dedicate ourselves to to refocusing and, and refining where we are with our vision as a church at Westside. What is our vision? What is our mission? What are our values? And for those of you who have been coming for a while, you've seen them everywhere. You've seen them either on the bottom of a logo or you've seen them outside in the lobby. Right now, they're on that really cool like backsplash that we will serve coffee underneath one day, God willing. Um, gospel community, and mission. Those are our three core values here at the church. And so those values sort of clump together, show us what our vision is as a church. And so what I want to do this morning is get you involved in the sermon. You're going to get some pulpit time, and it's going to be amazing. If you want to lift your voices with us, let's read aloud the vision of Westside out loud together. It'll be on the screen for you. Ready? Some, someone said yes. Ray said go. Our vision is to see people transformed by the gospel, experience life in community, and live out their lives for the glory of God and the good of their neighbors. You guys are in the sermon now, and you've got some pulpit time. So there you go. That is the vision at Westside. Our vision is to see people transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ, that, that as we were led this morning to understand the weight of our sin and that we were dead in our trespasses, but God, even in the midst of our sin, made us alive together with Christ, to see people transformed by that good news, to experience life in community, Community because we know we know that God's word and, and the way that we are created as humans is not to be lived out individualistic lives alone, just me and God, but totality, totally as, as one unit and as a family and as a community within the church of God. And so we don't do this alone. We're created in God's image and his likeness, and we live and live out their lives for the glory of God and the good of their neighbors, to fulfill the commandment, the great commandment that Jesus gave, where he said to love the Lord your God, to live this way. Love God with all of who you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's our vision. Well, how do we accomplish that? How does one accomplish a vision? It's a really cool word that we're going to talk about this morning that is called mission. Do you accomplish your vision by setting out on a mission. And the mission statement of Westside is this. Our mission is to engage people with the gospel, to encourage one another in community, and to equip disciples for mission. To equip disciples for mission. And so that, that is the mission and how we accomplish our vision. And what we're going to focus in and kind of zoom in on during this series called Axioms 
is that word disciple, to equip disciples for mission. Because we have an idea of what we think a disciple is in Western church culture in 2020. And it's, I get up at 6 a.m. and I read my Bible and I have my prayer time and I fill the pages in my journal. And I do these things and those make me a good disciple or a good follower of Jesus Christ. Um, But in reality, what we're going to see as we journey through this series is that that's not totally the case. Those actions are actually good and they are healthy behavioral traits for you to have as a believer. But what we're going to be unpacking is what it actually is to be a disciple. So what is the goal of this series? What is the goal of axioms? The goal is is discipleship. The goal is to become more fully formed followers of Jesus Christ. More fully formed followers of Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple that's what a disciple is. It's somebody who follows a master or a teacher and doesn't just be doesn't just in, intake the information that this that this teacher or master gives them but actually participates in it with them and in doing so becomes a more fully formed follower of that person and that person that master for us is Jesus Christ. That master who we are discipling under is Jesus Christ. And so the goal of this series is how do we become more fully formed followers of Jesus? Well, in order to do that, we need the right tools. Um, This is a picture of a pocket knife. We, We clear on that? Can we all agree that that's a pocket knife? Okay. This is a picture of an old luggage trunk. We good? Okay. These two have absolutely nothing in common. They, they don't work together. You wouldn't see them next to one another. You wouldn't associate them at all until you come to my house at 10 p.m. on a Friday night, and I'm trying to figure out what's in this trunk, and I don't know how to get into it, and I don't have a key because they don't make keys from the 1920s anymore. So my key is the pocket knife. I decide that I'm going to carve my way into this lock, and long story short, the latch that keeps the blade open slipped. I ended up in the ER with like half my finger gone, and it's all better now. Thank, thank your EMS and your medical workers and, and nurses for stitching up problems that were produced by foolish nature. But what's the point of that? I used the wrong tool, right? I used the wrong tool to accomplish this task. I used a pocket knife instead of a key to open up a rusted old luggage trunk. And I think oftentimes, as believers in in Western America and in Western Christianity and evangelicalism in 2020, we have an idea of what we think are good tools for the job to make us more fully formed followers of Jesus Christ, but we utilize them in wrong ways. We utilize them in ways that may end up actually damaging or hurting ourselves or hurting those around us. Let's go back to the good Christian scenario, the read your Bible every day, the pray every day, and fill your journal. Those are really, really good tasks and really, really, really helpful um, uh, helpful uh, practices and principles for you to be able to guide and walk through your life with. But a- analyze yourself with me on this. How do you feel when you miss a day of Bible reading? How do you feel when you miss a day of journaling? How do you feel when you, when you miss that, that quiet time and that prayer? Do you feel ashamed? Do you feel con- condemnation over yourself that, that you missed it? And, oh, man, like, this, this needs to be a, a better discipline. And we, when we behave this way and when we have these thoughts, we end up using these tools as ultimately ways to, to, to really earn God's grace and his love and really earn what we believe would be our, our fruitful discipleship life, our lives as disciples. And we get it all backwards and we get it all turned around. And so with those wrong tools that we use from time to time inappropriately, whatever the tool may be, 
The goal of this series in axioms is to go through seven axioms over the next eight weeks. This is week one, so that's the math. And these axioms are going to teach us how to be more fully formed followers of Jesus Christ. And these are the seven tools that we will use that will remind us and root us in truth about God and who He is, and that will play into how we live our lives. How we live our lives. The Oxford English Dictionary defines an axiom as this. It's a rule or a principle that most people believe to be true. A rule or a principle that most people believe to be true. Don't cross the street without looking both ways. Wash your hands after going to the restroom. Cough into your elbow. All these things that we believe are, are good and helpful, those, those are things that we would call axioms, truths about reality that help keep us grounded in real life. And why is this important? It's important because we've said this over and over and over again at Westside. We've said what we believe determines how we behave. What we believe about life and the world around us will determine how we behave in life and in the world around us. But more importantly, as disciples, as becoming more fully formed followers of Jesus Christ, what we believe about God and how God has created the world actually determines how we behave as believers and as people on this planet. What we believe determines how we behave. What we believe about God and his mission and the world around us, they will affect our development as disciples of Jesus Christ. So where do we begin? Where do we begin? We're not just going to like launch straight into all seven axioms and give you, you know, seven weeks to unpack it all. We're going to go through them one at a time, but they have a root and they have a, a beginning and a foundation for where they all are. And this is, this is part of the vision and the mission at Westside. It's on everything that you see, whether it's on our website, on the wall in the lobby out there, or on the front of this pulpit right here. We start with Jesus because it's all about Jesus. We start with Jesus. When we want to look at, at what we truly believe about God and how that determines how we behave, we have to look at Jesus Christ because it is all about Jesus. And so in the context of the, te the, the text that was read to you this morning in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, we see that Jesus has his own vision and his own mission, and it's stated for us very clearly in those two verses, and specifically verse 15. In verse 15, we're going to unpack these three things this morning. Three things. Three things. The first thing is both the announcement that Jesus makes and the application that we can make from that announcement. So Jesus makes an announcement and gives us an application. And then the, those are the two things. And then the third thing is our awareness, our awareness of what is taking place in this announcement and how the application plays out. So let's dive right into it. The announcement and the application. Look down at your Bible if you still have it open or if your phone is open. You can go ahead and switch from Facebook back over to the Bible app. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. In verse 15, it says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. That is the announcement. Jesus comes, and this is the first, this is the first line that we hear from him. In his, he's 33 years old. He's just been baptized and been tempted in the wilderness. And this is the first thing that we hear him communicate on his missionary journey to spread the good news. Jesus brings the news that is exciting and good. He says, the time is here. The kingdom of God is here and now. Now, you have to understand the context. That would have been very, very exciting and very unusual for the people of Jesus' day to hear at that time because they had not heard from a prophet or from the word of the Lord for 400 years. And for someone to come down and say, the kingdom of God is now here, 
and it is now active, they, that would have blown their minds. And that is good news. And it's not just good news because some guy uh, who, who was born in Bethlehem and, and grew up as a carpenter's son uh, comes and says, hey, the kingdom of God is here. No, the, the announcement is that he is here. The announcement is not just the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God coming to earth is actually Jesus because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and that's why this announcement is so good, not just for them, but for us here today in 2020. The kingdom of God is here and now. Jesus Christ is with us. Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead and is physically somewhere now, which is mind-blowing to think of. And as he went, he sent his Holy Spirit to be alive inside of us. So the kingdom of God is living, is alive here and now. God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, he sent himself to us in the form of his Son to dwell with us here on earth. So that's the announcement. The announcement is the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The second thing we have from that is, is right in the back half of that verse is the application. The application. Now the application comes next. It doesn't just end with announcing that the kingdom of God is here, that the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is now with us. He invites us to respond in a specific way. Look at the back half of that verse. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I think in 2020, like, uh, as as. Christians who grew up with, like, VeggieTales and VBS and all that stuff, we, we see the word repent and we get a little uncomfortable. We see the word repent and we immediately think, oh, uh, as a family member used to say to me when I was growing up, and uh, they, they would say, it's not, it's not repentance if there are no tears, if you're not weeping or, or violently upset by um, what you're repenting of. Um, but repentance is, is actually so much more than just not sinning. It's actually so much more than just avoiding bad behavior. It's turning from the lies that we believe about how the world works and turning to the one who created the world. Repentance is, so if what we believe determines how we behave and how we behave reveals what we believe, repentance is actually realizing what we're doing, revealing in our hearts what, what we really believe, turning from what we turning from that lie and turning to the one that Jesus is, the one who created the world. Repentance is, is agreeing with God or returning to God and his intended reality. That, let me give you an example of this. We, I get corrected. I get offended and irritated. In, in the core of that, there is probably a rooted and isolated issue of me wanting to be in control of something. And the lie that I believe in that is that I won't be okay unless I have control. If I don't have control, I won't be okay. Well, the, the good news about that and, and the truth lies in the fact that I don't have to be in control and I'm not in control. I'm not in control of anything. And so now I can anchor myself in this new belief and I can actually see the repentance taking place is that I'm no longer believing that I need to be in control. I turn to the one who is in control. Does that make sense? Repentance. Okay, so repent. Repentance is returning to God's reality the way that he intended it. The second application is to believe. Believe. We often think that, like, 
belief and discipleship is just like cranial knowledge. Like it's, it's how much Bible we read. It's how much theology that we know. It's, it's what we can take in and regurgitate from our mouths and show either how smart we are or how much we know. That is part of belief, but it is not all of believing. When Jesus says repent and believe, he's basically saying your belief shows you how you will behave. It's reverse that. This is what it is. How you behave will show you what you believe. How you behave will show you what you believe. The kingdom of God has come. The time is fulfilled. Jesus is now here with us. That's the good news. Repent. Turn from the lies that you believe about the world and come back to the way that God created the world. Agree with him on that reality. And then believe. What is that belief? We show it by how we live. We show that we believe in this reality that God has intended by the way we live in that reality. Listen to how Jesus words it out in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Now, I think we, we do the same thing with this passage. We think, okay, and James said it too. Don't be hearers of the word, but be doers. Jesus said you have to hear these words and also do them. But before we get into legalism and moralism, we have to understand one thing. The application and the announcement came in a specific order. They came in a specific order for a reason. We have the announcement that the kingdom of God is here and is at hand and is now. The time is fulfilled. So now, repent and believe. Jesus didn't come down and say, repent and believe so the kingdom of God will be at hand. Jesus didn't come down and say, if you get your life together and your act together, that's when I will come into your life. It's not repent and believe first and then the kingdom of God. It's God comes down. Jesus' name, one of his names in scriptures is Emmanuel. It literally means God is with us. God is with us. God comes down to us. I mean, we see this all throughout the Old Testament. Charlton Heston as Moses. There's, there are other actors who played Moses, but no one did it like Charlie Hesse. He did a fantastic job delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt. God delivered the people out of Egypt, excuse me, pulpit, and in the midst of that, he did that first, and then he gave them the law, the Ten Commandments. God first establishes and initiates his love, and then we respond. God, God is always the initiator. God is the initiator, and we are the responders. And we see that painted so beautifully in the way that Jesus started his ministry. He says, the time has come. I'm here. God is with us. Emmanuel. So now we respond. Repent and believe. Agree with God about reality. Return to his reality and how he created things. And show it by the way that you live. And show it by the way that you live. We encounter a problem here, though, as we've seen a couple times already. If we stop here, it's still just like head knowledge. If we stop here, it's just legalism, it's just moralism, and it's us attempting, okay, now I have a better theological understanding that the announcement comes first and then the application, but where does this actually go in my life here today and now? How can we get to the point to where we live out that belief? That's where our awareness comes in, our awareness in verse 15, it says, the time is fulfilled. And this may seem familiar to you. This is, uh, uh, this is a translation that we've used. Uh, Parker introduced this a few weeks back um, in the Proverbs series. The word time in chapter, in chapter 1, verse 15 is translated in two ways. It can be translated in two ways in the Greek. The first word is chronos. It's where we get the word chronological. 
uh, it's like what time, it's, it's viewing, viewing time as like a linear thing. We can go back in time, back to the future, we can go forward in time. What time is lunch? What time is it? It's time to go to the park, all of those things. That's where we get that word chronos. This is not the way that the word time is used in verse 15. The word time is actually used with this word. It's called kairos. It's not chronos, but it's called kairos. Can you say that with me? Say kairos. Kairos. One more time. Kairos. All right. If you say kairos, that's like a syrup, I think, that you get at the store. Cairo, uh, kairos. Let's try it one more time so we don't make that mistake. Kairos. Kairos. Okay. Kairos is the term that is actually used in this verse. And it's not linear time, but it's actually referring to a time that, that is open for opportunity. Um, the, the definition for this is a time that is pregnant with possibility. It refers to an occasion or an opportunity. So the difference in, in how we would use it in today's language is like, it's crunch time. It's your time to shine. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Um, maybe this illustration will help. This, this actually signifies the opportunity um, that we see when we have a kairos. This is a picture of my cat. This is Merlin. Merlin is great until he's hungry, and then he ravages the house and destroys things. This is a picture of the laundry room that he destroyed a couple weeks back. He climbed up onto some of the shelves and knocked everything down because he wanted tuna or something. I don't know what it was. When I came into there, also the shelves were poorly built by yours truly. I'm not a handyman. If a cat jumps up there and it falls down, it's probably my fault. I walk into the laundry room and I see that and I see this mess and I, this, this wave of exhaustion already hits me. I'm mad at the cat and I have a kairos, kairos about how I want to kick him. I'll talk about how that's significant later. Um, but I see this, this chaos inside my laundry room and, and immediately I already see an obstacle. I see, like, I see this, this issue that needs to be fixed. Well, what am I going to need to go purchase? Am I just going to hire somebody to do this? Whatever. But then my wife rolls in and she sees an opportunity. My wife sees an opportunity to turn this laundry room into like the most wonderful new laundry room that we could have when, and be in a joyous, happy place that sparks joy when we go into the laundry room. That's like a kairos. Like a kairos is not, is not an obstacle. It's not seeing something in our lives that's difficult or strenuous and seeing it as an obstacle or something that we try to run from or solve really quickly. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. A kairos, excuse me, a kairos is a moment where we can be aware of something that is going on in our lives. So, like, for example, I walked into the laundry room and I was filled with anxiety and I was filled with stress. That is a kairos because I did not want to fix all of this stuff and I saw it as a problem. Um, a good way that we can be aware of a kairos in our lives are, are, are these four things. Um, it's an aha moment, an uh-oh moment, an oh-no moment, or an oh-yeah moment. These are moments where, where we come in our lives and we say, uh-oh, like, I noticed something inside myself that doesn't resonate with that. Someone just corrected me, and now I'm irritated. I wonder what that's about. Or, aha, I finally get this. Like, I've read, the, I've read in this passage that Jesus is now saying that it's not, it's not just the things that I do, but, but they, they actually reveal what I believe. And so now I'm going to live my life in a different way. That's an aha moment. Or an oh, no. Well, you know oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah can be a good kairos. We can have like an aha or an oh, yeah. They don't always have to be bad. Um, and just to, to clarify with you and give you, give you a, a kind of a peek behind the curtain, um, 
we have been going through, uh, Pastor Jason and Parker and I have been going through these weekly co cohorts, and this has kind of been the language that we've been using regularly when we have these moments in our lives. When we have a moment where we realize that, that we're irritated because we're having the same conversation over and over with a certain person, or, or something in our spirit doesn't sit well because we, we feel agitated when somebody corrects us or we're not in control of something. Kairos is the word for all of those emotions that when we, note, when we notice them, that's the language that we will be using. When we notice these aha moments, the, uh, these uh-oh moments, and these oh-no moments. But we do the same thing with these. Rather than seeing these moments as opportunities, we often breeze by them and do like one of four things. We try to force it. We try, we try to force a solution, like what I saw with the shelving. I just need immediately to go to like solve the problem and make it work and not really realize what the core of the problem was, was my shoddy workmanship in the, in the uh, laundry room with shelving because I'm not a handyman. We try to fight it. We try to see, ah, nothing's wrong there. Like, I don't want to deal with this emotion that's negative or, or maybe something good is finally happening in, in my life with my relationship with my parents or a family member or whatever. I don't want to address that because th it's, it's probably nothing. Things have been going on for so long and, and this doesn't make any sense or matter right now. Uh, we try to fake it. We try to fake it and pretend that nothing is, is going on in our lives, like everything is great and nothing is wrong and I'm a good Christian so I don't have any problems and that's how life should be. Or we try to fix it immediately move into, well, this is what I read and this is the answer and I know that this is going to be the, the solution to this problem, whether it's my marriage or my finances or, or retirement or my workplace or conflict or confrontation, any of those things. And those are often mistakes that we make with addressing our, our kairoses. And to clarify again what this term is, I'm going to, I'm going to give you an illustration here. In the Civil War, um, uh, there was a really unusual method for, for treating lots of different kinds of illnesses and lots of different kinds of ailments. Uh, for PTSD and other things, they would give people um, certain colored glasses. Like, like, listen to this, this is crazy. They would give light green glasses uh, to people that they would give a soothing influence on the stomach uh, to, so to soothe a tummy suffering from heartburn or ulcers. Dark green or brown lenses were used by people suffering from diseases and under the belief that their abnormally contracted pupils would like relax and dilate more. Light blue spectacles were used by women when they sewed on linens that were like reflective and it like cut down on the reflective surfaces. And then we get the rose colored glasses, which actually were never a thing, uh, which is really funny. But that's the term that stuck. So we, we believe in the same way. We believe that we as believers, we put on these rose-colored glasses, and if we can just see the world differently and think about the world differently, then everything will be better. And in reality, it doesn't, it doesn't really affect our lives on a deep and meaningful level. It doesn't really affect our lives on a deep and meaningful level. So, so how does a kairos help us in this? How does a kairos help us in this? Well, Here's the key to a kairos. We don't just notice, but we utilize our kairos to view the world as Jesus viewed it. The key to a kairos is being aware of what God is already doing in our lives. Of what God is already doing in our lives. That's the key to a kairos. And a kairos is just a moment where you have, where you have a reaction or an emotion or a response to something, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Another example, if I'm having a, a conversation with a family member and I'm irritated because it's going in a direction that I don't want, rather than fix it or force it or fake it or try to run from it, I can slow down and think, huh, I was actually irritated by this conversation and I wonder why that is. 
And that is a moment where God is working in our lives, working in my life to reveal something to me about how I operate with my family members, or maybe even on a deeper level. And so kairos is the word that we will use to notice where God is at work in our lives. And these axioms that we're going to go through are the tools, the right tools that we will use to keep us anchored in God's reality. Kairos is the word we will use to notice how God is at work in our lives. And the axioms are the tools that we will use to keep us anchored in God's reality. So I'm going to spend just a short amount of time kind of breaking down each axiom in like a short one to two minute blurb. So you kind of have an idea of where we're going to be going over the next seven weeks. And then we will close this morning. So what are the axioms? What are the axioms? The first one is God is always present and at work. So remember, these axioms are truths about God, and they're going to help us believe truths about God that will show us and help us behave in a world to become more fully formed followers of Jesus. These are the truths that we hang on. So the first one is God is always present and at work. So like the presence of God in the Old Testament, like sometimes it it showed up occasionally, like it talked through a donkey, or it came to Jacob in a dream, and he woke up, and he was like, surely the Lord is in this place. But now, this side of the cross, we have, or, sorry, this, this side, of, this side of, of humanity and reality, we have Jesus Christ. Jesus, literally God with us. Now the presence of God came to the earth. And then when Jesus was crucified, died, b- buried, and then rose again on the third day, we now have the Holy Spirit alive inside of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that His Spirit dwells in your midst or within you. This idea that God is always present and at work, that we don't, we don't hope or, or pray hard enough or worship and sing hard enough that he shows up. He's already here. God is always present and at work, and not just in this building, but in your lives. Every breath you take and every conversation you have, everything you do, God is always present and at work. That's the first axiom. The second axiom is God is like Jesus. God is like Jesus. Now, a lot of us, especially in the Bible Belt, and I grew up in the Bible Belt. I grew up in North Texas. We were just right at the, right at the bottom of that. I grew up in the culture of, of being really literally afraid of God, and that if I did something wrong or that if I sinned just hard enough or just the right way, that lightning bolt would finally come down and get me on my rear end. Like that, a lot of us, I believe, have a picture or an idea of that kind of God. That God is an authoritarian dictator deity that utilizes and abuses his power towards people who don't move to his liking. But what we see throughout Scripture and from Jesus himself is that God is like Jesus. Like Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and they're like, Jesus, show us the Father. And in John chapter 14, he says, Philip, have have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God is like Jesus. If we want to know what God is like, we only have to look at Christ and nowhere else. We look at Jesus to see what God is like. The third axiom is God meets us in reality. God meets us in reality. Um, Jesus was often encountered with like Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees who were coming up to like speak to him, to, to trick him or to fool him. And, and those were people who were operating much like we do, seeing how close they could get to the line of sinning. How close could they get to the, to, to the line but not cross it and get Jesus to, to stumble over whatever. And nine times out of ten, Jesus generally will either breeze by the question and get to the heart of the issue or just ignore it altogether. 
the people that Jesus has meaningful encounters with and deep, deep moments with are, are people like the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. A, a, a squirrely tax collector who, who shirked a lot of people out of their money. Jesus met with these people and they were real with him. They were real about where they were in their lives, in their sin, and how it affected other people. And Jesus met them there in that reality and invited them to his reality. God meets us in the reality of our lives. And a lot of us go through, go through life attempting to li literally live a lie. We, we live a lie that we tell ourselves or that we receive from social media or the internet or whatever, that we're not good enough unless we say the right thing or do the right thing, that we're not loved, we're not cherished unless, unless we're with the right people groups or whatever. And the reality is that God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. And so God is always present and at work. God is like Jesus. And God meets us in reality. God meets us in reality. The fourth axiom that we will discover is God cares more about it than we do. Like, just slow down and think about this for a moment. God, the author of everything, the creator of the universe, wouldn't you think that he cares about every aspect of the universe and his creation far more than we could ever imagine? God cares more about my marriage than I do. He cares about the church more than I do. He cares about my relationship with Jesus more than I do. We act as if we don't believe this truth when we believe the lie that everything is fully dependent on us. When we walk through life and fail to delegate or to trust others with responsibilities or work or to open up in our wounds to other people, we believe the lie that it all depends on us and we forget that God cares about everything in our lives more than we do. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Someone said it this way, every good thing worth caring about that we care about, God cares about it more. God cares more about it than you do. The next axiom is what God does through you, He will also do in you. What God does through you, He also does in you. God's mission is not this global project that He uses people to achieve. He doesn't use you to save somebody. Now, there, there may be an equation into which you, you are invited into the process in a community of, of this person's journey of coming to faith. But God doesn't use you to accomplish some kind of work in somebody else before he, doesn't, before he does that work in yourself, before he does that work in you. God's project is not using you for other people. God's project is people. God's kingdom is deeply and foundationally rooted in us as individuals and how we become more fully formed followers of Jesus as we live in his kingdom right now. We don't work for God, we work with him. Ephesians chapter 4 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and all these people to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity, the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measures of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. God does this work in us and through us at the same time. The next axiom is the goal of discipleship is divine union. The goal of discipleship is divine union. We often make the assumption that discipleship is a program, just helps us to learn more and to know more about God with our minds, and we try harder to sin less throughout our lives. Christianity includes behaviors and beliefs, but it does not make them the goal. The goal is oneness with God and with one another, just as we read in Ephesians, to build us up together in one body into the head, which is Christ. And it helps us to live out our lives as Jesus commanded, to love the Lord with all of who we are and to love our neighbors and ourselves. We accomplish this by being unified with God in his work and sharing in the divine life of God, our Heavenly Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and His Spirit alive inside of us. And lastly, we learn love through embodied participation. Through embodied participation. We haven't truly learned something until we've started doing it. You can't truly learn something until you start doing it. We learn more about the kingdom of God, and then we participate in the work of the kingdom of God both the real work inside our own hearts and lives as well as others. Rather than actually just reading or learning more, trying to behave better, we actually grow and change in the way that we think, act, and live our lives so that our lives can daily be offered up to him as living sacrifices of God, which is our worship to him. So those are the axioms. God is always present and at work. He's like Jesus. He meets us in reality. He cares about everything way more than we do. What God does through us, he's going to do in us. The goal of discipleship is union with God in love. And we learn that love through participating with God's work in his kingdom. These axioms, our hope and our goal over the next seven weeks, are going to root us and ground us in God's reality And as we notice the moments in our lives, kairos, as we notice these aha, these uh uh-oh, these oh-nos, or oh-yeah moments in our lives, we can actually see where God is present and at work. And when we go to move forward in our lives in those spaces with God, participating with him, we can be grounded in truths about who he is. And that will help us move forward to become more fully formed followers of Jesus. That is our hope in this series, and our big idea for this sermon is a fully formed follower of Jesus lives as though the good news of Jesus really is good. A fully formed follower of Jesus will live as though the good news of Jesus really is good. So as we move forward in this series, our prayer and our hope is that we would become not just more aware of what God is doing in our lives, but more of how we can do kingdom work with God. And as disciples, we can become more fully formed followers of Jesus and really live lives that truly believe that the good news that Jesus brings is good news. The band is going to come up and lead us in a time of response. And as we sing aloud together, as we lift our voices together, May we be reminded that God is always present, that he's here and now, that we don't have to guess about what he's like. He's like Jesus, that he meets us where we are in reality and invites us into his. He cares about every little detail of our lives more than we do. He does work through us and in us, 
and ultimately we work with him in love in the kingdom. Would you stand to your feet this morning and if you are able, we can lift our voices and pray as the Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this good news that Jesus came with an announcement. And he was the announcement. The kingdom of God is here in Jesus. And so now may we live our lives in a response, turning from our sins and the ways that we live and the lies that we believe about reality and return to your reality and live that way. Live as you intended. Live a life that is joined with you. Remind us of who you are. Remind us of the good news of Jesus Christ and how that news, as we follow it and as we trust it and as we live in it, can really make us more fully formed followers of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask it all in Christ's name.